Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Rodney began last week talking about Advent, and he talked about the uh, two... uh, reasons we celebrate Advent. Uh, actually, in the church, there are three reasons. Advent, as he spoke last week, is about the arrival or the coming. Uh, uh, that's what it means from Latin. It's a, it's a word meaning coming. We take it to mean the coming of Christ. So <clears throat> we celebrate the coming of Christ physically when he came to the earth. At the Christmas, we celebrate it. We celebrate the coming when he comes to live within us by his Spirit. That's a celebration and then the third celebration will when he comes to uh, make all of history his history or make it culminate history. That's, the, that's the, the coming that we are looking forward to. And I was thinking about it, if I don't recognize or don't celebrate the second coming of him coming within me and living within me, then the first coming uh, doesn't mean a lot to me and I'm certainly not looking forward to the second coming. So it's all hinged on what we do with his coming. And so this morning I want to just share with you about how do we prepare ourselves for his coming and what is our response to his coming. If you think about Christmas, Christmas is a time of expectancy. We get excited. Uh, about before Thanksgiving, we start looking forward to Christmas. There's a, it's a season of expectancy. Um, there's an expectancy when you know Christmas is coming about family coming from far and near to celebrate together. Uh, maybe you're looking forward to some special foods at Christmas time. Uh, you get excited about it. Uh, maybe the decorations, when everything is lit up outside, we, we get excited. And of course, the presents. We look forward to receiving and giving to each other. So it's a time of expectancy. But I, we are expected, but I thought, are we expecting the right things? You know, as many times, if certain family members can't make it or don't come, we can be very disappointed. Or when grandma or an older relative can no longer make her special dish, it doesn't make it right. Somehow, it's just not Christmas. Or when we're not able to see all the decorations we'd like to, it just, it's not Christmas. Or maybe the biggest disappointment for us is when we don't receive that special gift we were hoping for, even expecting. It's just not Christmas. When I lived in Africa for a number of years, my first Christmas in Africa, I was in a small town in northern Kenya in a desert area. And uh, Christmas, that, it, it falls in the season. It's, it's summertime there. It was the hottest time of the year. So I'm walking down the streets of this small town thinking on Christmas Eve, thinking, this is not Christmas. I mean, there was nothing outside. I mean, the only thing white was the sand, and it was mostly red. It was like, this is not Christmas. It was hot. I mean, it's not supposed to be hot at Christmas. Maybe if you're from Florida, you're okay with it. But I grew up where it was cooler, maybe even some snow. It just didn't feel like Christmas. There was no decorations. The town I lived in was a predominantly Muslim town. There were no decorations. Nobody decorated for Christmas. So I'm walking through town thinking, this doesn't feel like Christmas. It's not what I expected. I was starting to feel kind of gloomy about being Christmas Eve and not feeling like Christmas. And then I began to hear some music. And as I got closer, it was coming from the Catholic church in town, from their bell tower, 
they were playing Silent Night, Holy Night. And as I got closer, it just became probably the most beautiful song I'd heard in the middle of the desert, hearing, preparing for the coming of the Lord, or singing about that. In a, in a situation where I didn't feel anything Christmassy. I was thinking, you know, we didn't have any, there was no shopping you did except for food in that little town, really. Black Friday, the only thing that I experienced that way was when they cut the electricity off at night, which they did often, so that could be a Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So there was nothing that prepared me for it, but that song penetrated to my heart, and I began to worship in the middle of a very different place for me and began to say, Christmas is not about what I see or feel. It's about who I know. It's about Christ who came to live and to give his life for us. And I could say I was expecting at that time, but I was expecting the wrong thing. And God took me to himself to show me this is what you should be expecting. You know, the nation of Israel, as Rodney shared last week, they were expecting the coming of the Messiah. For over 400 years, they had heard he's coming, he's coming. And the prophets had foretold in some very accurate terms and language that he's coming. I mean, they knew where he'd be born. He'd be born in Bethlehem. They knew that. Now, they knew how he'd be born, of a virgin, very, very specific. They knew his genealogy. He would come from the line of David. They knew he would uh, be worshipped by shepherds. Uh, and received gifts from foreign kings. This was all in the prophecies, and they knew it. Uh, they knew that others would be killed because of his birth, and they knew that he would live in Egypt. They, they knew this. If you read the scripture, read the prophets, it's all there. They knew it. And yet, knowing all this, very few were prepared to receive him when he did arrive. I'd like to read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, to talk and to, hear, to read about how three responses to the coming of Christ. And I think even now, after all these years, we still respond in one of these three ways when we approach and we hear about the coming of Christ. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod then called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too, I too may go and worship him. After they had returned, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and during the night 
and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in his vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. If we look at this passage, I see three different responses to the coming of Christ. The first one I see is by the chief priests and teachers of the law. The chief priests and teachers of the law, they were the keepers of the scriptures. No one knew the scriptures better than they. They, they studied them always. They were always low knowing them. And that's why Herod sent for them. He knew if anybody knew where the Christ child would be born, they would know because they knew the scriptures. They were the most educated people of the day because it was their job to interpret the scriptures for the people. So they were very educated. So as I think about this, if, if anyone was to be excited about the birth of Christ, it should have been them. They should have been overjoyed to hear that he has come. The others have seen it. But, you know, I think after answering Herod's questions of where the child will be born, you know, I would have thought they would have sent someone. Maybe they would have said, let's go. Let's go together and see what, what they're seeing. Let's, let's find out ourselves. They would have gone to find out. I mean, um, Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. I think, come on, people, don't you care? But when we read the scriptures, it's like they ignored it completely. They ignored it. I mean, it, it, it didn't, somehow it didn't apply to them. I mean, they've been looking and waiting and studying scriptures, and the Christ is coming, and these people have come and said, we've seen a star. We believe it means the birth of the Christ. They didn't care. They didn't care. I think they didn't care because they were so proud that they believed that if God was going to come to the earth, as he said, they would, they would know first. We would know first. Nobody else would know. He would talk to us first because we're the people, his representatives to the people. But I think, were they really his representatives? They just ignored what the Christ, the birth of Christ. And I think that was their struggle throughout their life because they were so proud that they couldn't accept Jesus because he didn't come through them. It wasn't one of them. They couldn't accept him. And so at this time, when they were the ones that knew all the scriptures and understood and and. and they knew where he'd be born, but they had no interest in going to see. I mean, maybe they would even send someone to disprove the Magi, to do something, but they didn't care. They simply ignored. Their response was to ignore the birth of Christ. And since they ignored his birth, they also ignored his life. Until, of course, his teachings began to uh, uh, unravel their influence over the people. Then they took notice. They, since they ignored his birth, they certainly didn't accept his teachings because he wasn't from them and with them, so they couldn't accept it. And then, as for recognizing his resurrection, this would have destroyed everything they based their lives on. And so they ignored it as if it never happened. So the first response is to ignore. It just it doesn't apply to me. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm going to ignore this. The second response we see it comes from King Herod. 
he was intrigued by the Magi. It says he was troubled. He was intrigued. But he's also very suspicious. I mean, how could these people from another country come into my country and tell me things that are happening here I don't even know? You know, how could that be? That, that, that wasn't going to happen. Under the pretense of wanting also to recognize and welcome the new king, he told the Magi, okay, you go and find him, and when you find him, come tell me, and I'll go and worship him. But Herod's life betrayed him. He was a very ruthless ruler. If you read the history, anybody that opposed him, he dealt with very ruthlessly. We think there are some leaders of our day that are ruthless. I don't think any of them compare to Herod. I mean, he was so paranoid and so threatened, he murdered his uncle, his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, his three sons, and even his own wife to protect his power. He was brutal. He was, he was, no one's going to threaten him. And so he wasn't looking to worship this king. He was looking to deal with this new threat to him. And his real intentions obviously came to light after he realizes the Magi left without reporting back to him. And I think he would have probably gone after them because they didn't do what they told him, but maybe he didn't want to start an international incident. And so he just said, I, let me, what, what, what can I do within my own country? And so he did the next best thing. He said, I need to find this child and destroy him. So he knew the approximate age of the child because the Magi said, about this time we saw the star, he calculated. And so he said, it's probably a child two years and younger. So he didn't know which one it was, so what did he do? He, I'll get rid of all of them. I'll just make sure that there's no threat to me. I think even a small child could be threatening to him. Of course, we know that Jesus escaped because the angel told Joseph to escape, but the others didn't. It's hard to know how many children were killed during that time. Bethlehem wasn't a big place, but even if there was one child that was killed in this ruthless way, how, how, how sad would that be? Uh, how sad would that be that he was so opposed to anybody being in control except for him that he was going to destroy them immediately? He opposed the birth of Christ. In Herod's eyes, he was the king of his life. He would not bow to anyone, not even God. No one was going to threaten his power. He was going to make sure of that. He was in control of his life, or so he thought. It's interesting, within a few years of Jesus' birth, King Herod died. And I think then he found out who was really in control. It wasn't him, even though he thought it was. So the, the chief priests and the, the, the teachers, they ignored Christ. Herod opposed him. He fought against him. The third response to the birth of Christ is shown by the Magi. As they left uh, Jerusalem for Bethlehem, it says they saw the star that was guiding them again. They were overjoyed. They were thrilled. It says following the star, they found Jesus with his Mary, his mother, and the scripture says they bowed down and worshipped him. If we know when we do the nativity scenes in our homes and other places, we see all the characters together. We see the shepherds and the wise men and everybody together in the story. But if you read scripture and study it, it's, it, it we really believe that this happened probably two or three years after, a couple of years after the birth of Christ. There's ways to look at it because it says in Scripture that they found, they found a child. Not the babe, but a child. So he was older. 
and he was with Mary in a house. He didn't find him in a stable like the, uh, uh, the shepherds found him. He was in a house, okay? And then, uh, so there, there are ways, and then Herod knew that he was older as well because of the timing of the star. So it didn't happen at the same time. It was later in the Christmas story. But when they found him, maybe a child of two years age, they immediately recognized him as who he, who he was, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then, we, of course, we know the gifts they brought. Uh, they brought gold, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these had tremendous significance during the time. The gold was a, a gift for a king, and so they... It symbolized kingship on earth. Frankincense is an incense and is a symbol of deity. And then myrrh and embalming oil is a symbol of death. The Magi worshipped him. They bowed before him, submitting themselves to this king. They wanted to recognize him. They accepted him, I believe, as a king on earth. He is a king. He is a king on earth. They recognized him. They also recognized him as God of heaven. The frankincense, the, the, this, this is for you as, as God from heaven. And then they foretold his death for all mankind. The myrrh, well, we recognize that you're going to die. and We're going to prepare. We're going to give a, a spice that will prepare people for your death. It's interesting. I feel like they left satisfied that they had found for whom they searched. But the Jewish religious leaders and Herod died still searching. I think the question for me and all of us is how will we respond this Christmas season? Will we ignore him out of indifference? Will we oppose him out of our pride? Or will we worship him out of our belief that he is who he said he was? I'd like to share a, a devotional I first heard some years ago by Pastor Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll. It's probably my favorite Christmas devotional, uh, and I've made some changes to it, the way he wrote it, to make it more appropriate to our situation, and I hope that it will, it will impact you as well as we think about how do we respond to the birth of Christ. The title of this is just simply called A Birth. If you think, if you'd been living in 1929, what would the news have been in the U.S. in 1929? Okay, there were several inventions in 1929. Uh, the car radio was made by Motorola in 1929. Andre, Andreas Steele began manufacturing the first chainsaws in Switzerland. Okay, sunglasses began to be sold at an Atlanta department store. And the drink 7-Up was invented in 1929. But if you study history, you'll know that that's not the news that shook the U.S. in 1929. In October of 1929, we experienced what we know today as the crash of the stock market, which led to a time in our history as the Great Depression. When the stock market crashed, many people lost everything that they ever valued as far as finances. And some were so distraught, they took their own lives. My grandfather, I understand, was a cotton farmer, and he had just bought a new car because cotton prices were high. At that time, when the stock market crashed, the beginning of the Depression, the stock market, the price of cotton fell from 18 cents a pound to 6 cents a pound. And my mother told me that it was so bad that he could not even afford gas for the car. It fell so much. And so it was like, it was devastating. And they, they lived through the Depression. 
But even at that time of the great financial upheaval in America, babies were born. But who was interested in babies and bottles and cradles and cribs when people had lost all their life savings? I mean, what could possibly be more important than the financial health of our country? Who took notice of the birth of babies when the world was in such an upheaval? What does it matter a baby is born? Someone should have, because there were a veritable host of thinkers and leaders who drew their first breath in 1929. Jackie Kennedy, the wife of President John F. Kennedy, was born in New York in 1929. Anne Frank, the young Jewish girl whose family hid in their house from the Nazis, who wrote her famous book, The Diary of Anne Frank, began her short life in Germany in 1929. Frederick Reese, a civil rights activist, educator, and minister who marched side by side with Dr. King in Selma to Montgomery, he cried out his first cry in Selma, Alabama. A few miles away in Shiloh, Alabama, Alterine Lucy, the first African-American student to attend the University of Alabama, began her life. Barry Gordy, Jr., founder of Motown record label, wore his first diapers in 1929. And then Jerome and Doris Palmer welcomed their baby boy Arnold, who became one of their greatest golfers of our time. But on January the 15th, 1929, in the home of a Baptist minister, it was filled with the cries of an infant baby boy who they named Michael. But we all know the better today as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. All of that and more happened in 1929, but who cared? I mean, the financial future of America was at stake. Or was it? After World War II, the U.S. economy bounced back stronger than ever, and the Great Depression began to be just a memory. It was, it was relegated to history books. What appeared to be super significant, as we look back on it, what was significant? And what appeared to be totally unimportant and insignificant was, in fact, the beginning of an era. Go back 19 centuries before that. Who could have cared that the, about the birth of a baby while the world was watching Rome in all of her splendor? At its greatest, Rome controlled one-fourth of the world's population. And most of the countries in Europe and North Africa were under Roman control. It was as vast as it was vicious. There was political intrigue and racial tensions and increased immorality and enormous military might, which occupied everyone's interests and conversation. Everything was about Rome. Palestine, Jerusalem, Bethlehem existed under Rome's heavy boot. All eyes were on Augustus, the Roman Caesar, who demanded a census so to determine how much more taxes he could demand. And at that time, who cared about a couple from Nazareth making an 80-mile trip south to Bethlehem? Why would that make news? Why was that interesting? What could be more important than the Caesar's decisions in Rome? Who cared about a Jewish baby born in Bethlehem? It's interesting. The world didn't care, but God cared. Without realizing it, the mighty Augustus, the Caesar of Rome, was only an errand boy for the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. He was a tool in the hand of God. While Rome was busy making history, God arrived. He pinched his fleshly tent in silence, on straw, in a stable, under a star, and the world didn't even notice the world overlooked Mary's little lamb.
And sadly, it still does. What about you? Are there things more important in your life than the birth of Jesus this Christmas? I'd encourage you, don't be like those who lived during the time when Jesus was born. Don't be like the chief priests and the, the scribes. Don't, don't ignore him. Don't be like Herod. Don't oppose, don't oppose him. Don't fight against him. I encourage you, receive him as the wise men. Bow and worship. You know, you think about it, the great Roman Empire no longer exists. No longer exists. But the message of Jesus and the life he offers is still available for anyone who will believe today. So I welcome you today as we celebrate the Advent, the coming of the Christ. Let's prepare our hearts to receive him. Let's, as we prepare to receive communion this morning, let's get our hearts ready to Say, yes, Jesus, yes, Lord, I want to receive you. I want to worship you as my Lord and my King. If you've not done that, if maybe you see you have been ignoring him, if you have been opposing him, I welcome you to come today and say, I want to worship him as the wise men. As I said, the wise men left satisfied. They had found who they searched. But those, the religious leaders and Herod, they died still searching. Don't, don't still search. He is here for us. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly than you've ever imagined. So I welcome you to come and receive the birth of the Messiah. Let me pray for us, and then we will finish our worship and we will have communion. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can celebrate your coming to earth. Uh, Father, and I, um, I want to confess that many times I get caught up in the things externally and I miss what is most important at this time of year, to prepare myself to share with others the message that you came, you lived among us, and you want to live within us by the power of your Spirit. So thank you, Father. Thank you that you loved us enough to come and and give your life that we could have a relationship with you. So I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't have that, doesn't know that relationship with you, that they will make that decision. They will desire to worship you as the wise men. I pray that none of us will go from here ignoring you, opposing you, but will be bowing before you in worship. And we thank you that you invite us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.